helping families be happy. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Noah Baum, who will be talking with us about her book, A Land Twice Promised. Welcome to the Familius Podcast, Noah. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to have you and to spend some time together. So before we launch into your beautiful book, A Land Twice Promised, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. Well, I grew up in Jerusalem, in Israel, and I always wanted to be an actress. And uh, what else? I came to this country for the first time when I was in fifth grade. My father was on sabbatical from the Hebrew University at Stanford University. So that's where I learned English, fifth and sixth grade. I came knowing exactly five words. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes, no. Hello, how do you do? My name is Noah Cohen Raz. I come from Israel. That's how, oh. I, that's how I started fifth grade. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. You've come a long way. <laughs> um, and then, so I was an actress at the Khan Theater in Jerusalem. I studied acting at Tel Aviv University, I was an actress there. And then I did my master's uh, in New York. I went to study theater and and acting with Uta Hagen in New York City. And then I did a master's at uh, NYU in uh, drama therapy and educational theater. And then I came back to Israel and met my husband, who was an American and who wanted to do his PhD in Davis, California. So we moved to Davis, California in 1990. He told me it was going to be just five or six years. And here I am. Mm, here you are (laughs) so there I was in California in student housing with two little kids and I met there another woman from Jerusalem but from East Jerusalem she was a Palestinian and we started kind of becoming friends you know mom friends on the playground and um, yeah do you want me to keep Telling you keep how I keep going, keep going. <laughs> it's a lovely background. So yeah, I have a feeling it will somehow tie us into the story. Well, this is the story. <laughs> so I was, um, you know, a, a mom with two kids, and I also discovered, you know, that storytelling was not just for children; it was also for adults. And so we, you know, she and I became friends, kind of mom friends. You know, we talk about the kids, we talk about the husbands. And then in 2000, I went to my very first National Storytelling Network conference. I presented a workshop there and I took a workshop with two very prominent storytellers that was titled The Importance of Telling Difficult Stories. Mm. And as I sat in that workshop, I realized that I don't do anything out of my comfort zone I tell mostly for children. And if I tell for adults, I tell folk tales. I don't tell personal stories. 
because I think how in the world can I convey the complex reality of my life in Israel to an American audience? And how in the world can I describe my crazy mother to an American audience? Ah. So I never ventured to tell personal stories. But when I left that workshop, I also realized that if I don't take risks, I'm never going to grow as an artist. And so I... Lauren Nimi, who was one of the teachers in that workshop, became a mentor of mine, and he started encouraging me to tell personal stories. And I started working on a story of my memories from third grade when we were with all the neighbors in the furnace room during the Six Day War. It was my first war, my first memory of war. And he thought it was a very important story for Americans to hear. And I thought it's a boring story. I mean, we were just in the you know, in the furnace room for five days and the bombs were falling, you know, nothing dramatic happened. Oh my goodness. Nothing dramatic. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really, when you blow off like that, it's not dramatic. But then I thought, wait a minute, here's this woman that I've known now for seven years. And she also grew up in Jerusalem. And I realized I never heard what that war was like for her. And I realized, you know, I don't, know how it was for Palestinians. Did, did they sleep with the furnace room with all the neighbors? Did Palestinians even have bomb shelters? And so a new chapter in our relationship began. Mm-hmm. And this time I started asking questions. And of course, she said things like, oh, I don't have a story. And I just grew up with fear. I grew up under Israeli occupation. Why would you want to hear my story? But Israelis don't take no for an answer. So um, I came over, I started asking questions, and I listened, and the stories came out. And she eventually was telling me about how when she was about 10, she saw a boy who was about 13 years old being beaten by soldiers. And that was the first time in her life she understood the meaning of the word hate. And hearing that kind of felt like somebody just kicked me in the gut. Yes. Because the soldiers that terrified and haunted her entire childhood were my people, our heroes, everyone that I knew that turned 18 and went to the army, including my brother. Uh, Suddenly, my people were the them. They were the offenders. They were the offenders. And it was very uncomfortable. But I kept listening because, you know, after all that insisting, she was actually telling me her stories. And and so I listened and eventually we started talking about history. And I would say something that was the truth. And she would say, that's not true at all. That's Zionist propaganda. She would say something that was the truth with a capital T. And I would say, but that's not true at all. That's Arab propaganda. (laughs) We argued. And then she said, look at us, we're becoming defensive. And we started laughing. Mm. I picked up the baby so she could make a soft boiled egg for the other kids. And we continued to talk. And there was never a moment that we felt like we can't talk to each other. And that experience was so powerful for me. How beautiful. This this experience of, of being able to hold on to our compassion Of course, she afterwards told me that if we hadn't had those seven years before of being mom friends, we would have she would have never told me those stories. So that trust did not build overnight. And 
that experience was really powerful. And I felt like if, if, if I could just have other people have this kind of experience of not listening to the other, not listening to a Palestinian, but listening with that kind of compassion that we had for a friend. And I thought, well, what could I do? I'm a storyteller. So I took these conversations that we had and I started recording them. And I created a one woman show called A Land Twice Promised, where I tell our personal stories and the stories of our mothers that echo the contradicting national narratives of our people. And I started, you know, performing it. And very quickly after I started performing it, I realized that from the responses that I was getting, that my story is not about two moms meeting on the playground, that it's not even about Israelis and Palestinians, that my story is about the power of storytelling and the power of listening to the story of the other, even and especially when they are different and their story may be so difficult. Oh, how beautiful, Noah, and how pertinent this is right here right now in today's world where there is so much of that dynamic you were describing in the kitchen of my T, my truth with a capital T, you're wrong with a capital W, right? It was starting that way, but your friendship and the trust you had built allowed you each to stop and say, wait a minute, you may have your truth. I will be a holder for it and please hold my truth. And they can both be true, right? Yeah, well, it was more about that by listening to each other's personal stories, it was easier for us to then hold the paradox of of this contradicting historical narratives, these contradicting historical narratives. uh, Absolutely. Writes history from their point of view. So absolutely that both truths can be there, that they can contradict. And it's from your perspective and her perspective. And. Isn't that a lesson to use throughout the ages? My goodness, what a beautiful tale. And I love how then you brought it to life in your book. And so just tell me for a moment about the title, A Land Twice Promised. Well, for me, Lauren, Lauren helped me. He came up with this title and it's uh, it echoes this idea of these two historical narratives it echoes the idea that each people feel that the land was promised for them and they have proof. Uh, we, we all have a lot of proof. And I don't know, for me, it was metaphorical. Uh, it has this echo to the biblical promise. Yeah. So I really liked it. It felt like it said it. And then, you know, that was the, sh- the show was a land twice promised. And then the book had a subtitle an Israeli woman's quest for peace. Because what happened was very quickly when I realized that this is the power of storytelling that helped us create these bridges, I started doing a lot of workshops. I still do workshops where I use the power of stories in many different applications to help people bridge across differences. Mm -hmm. I was giving a keynote at a conference once about this and Christopher Robbins, who is the publisher of Familius, heard it and he came up to me and he asked me, do you want to write about it? And I thought, I can't write in English. It's my second language. And, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm a speaking person. I'm a spoken word artist. But 
it's not every day that somebody comes and offers you to write a book. So I and say. so here we have it, a land twice promised. And, you know, it's interesting, the familiar's publishing values. And I just love the, the, the values, um, love together, play together, learn together, work together, talk together, heal together, right? Read together, eat together, laugh together. And the art of story, storytelling, which you brought to book form, right? It just embraces so many of those core values that it allows people to work together through their differences to come to a common, to a common place, to heal together. And as you were describing it, your friendship, there was plenty of laughter and play and love involved. And isn't it just so beautiful how stories, that that web of stories that was between you has taken such a journey and helped so many people. Yeah, well, the, the book became much more than that, because as I started writing the book, I realized, well, how did I get there? How did I come from the mother that I came and the, the home that I came to and the very black and white narratives and way of looking at the world that I had to be standing on stage telling both my story and the story of a Palestinian woman and her mother? And so the book is kind of like this journey into how do we change and what mm-hmm. how, how how this comes about and how did i how how do we come from a tight rigid place to a place that can embrace more complexity and paradox and it's also the story of my journey of the transformative relationship of that that, that this book had or this story had on my relationship with my mother so it's a lot about you know these values of healing because i had to tell her story and i chose to tell it in first person i had to re-listen to a lot of the stories of my mother that i grew up resenting Mm. so the book talks a lot about that journey as well so it has it has several threads in it. Yes, it sounds really multi-layered. And I really, I want to go back to something you said a few sentences ago when you said, you know, we need to change together, right? And and I think that's another core value for us to look at, right? Change together, transform together. And it sounds like that's a huge part of the energy of your book. Let's change together. Let's transform our lives. And I'm sure from the um, way that you raised your children and they were immersed in all of this love and positive transformation, I imagine you've really affected their lives in so many positive ways because they witnessed this. They witnessed the storytelling, the gentleness, the learning, and the healing when they were babes in arms and beyond. Yeah. How powerful is that? My goodness. I would love it if you don't mind, if you have a few snippets to share from your book for our listeners, just a few highlights that might give a listener the energy of your storytelling. I want to read to you just a little bit from the opening of the book, just to kind of give a sense of where this journey begins, you know, like where I come from. I was almost 17 years old. We were in Paris for my father's sabbatical and I had saved all my babysitting money and lobbied hard to go to London for two weeks with a friend without adults. In my journal from August, 1975, I wrote, 
It's been ages since I wrote, and so much has happened. We were at the Wax Museum and the changing of the guards at Buckingham Palace and the tower and all the banal places of your average tourist. And one of the most wonderful experiences was on Sunday. We met a group of Israeli teenagers who are here as part of an international program of young science scholars. Together with them, we went to Hyde Park to listen to the democracy. There were all sorts of nonsense and one interesting speaker who talked about anarchism. His speech was nice and interesting and even logical, but completely not practical. <laughs> Then a large crowd gathered around the stage of an idiotic Palestinian that spoke with no intelligence and no shape or form and just babbled nonsense. There were more Israelis there than Arabs, and they started yelling at him and answering him furiously. It was raging and lively. Suddenly, there were thousands of Israelis and Jews. At a certain point, they saw that there was no point in arguing with him at all, in particular since the Israeli English is pretty lame. So we started to sing, and the singing turned into a huge roar of dozens of enthusiastic Israelis, and the roar became an exciting horror dance. Everything was spinning in rhythm and enthusiasm while the defeated speaker stood astonished at the stage making last attempts to talk, but his voice was drowned in the sea of roars, Am Yisrael Chai, the nation Israel lives. It was truly an experience. I was so excited and moved. Suddenly, one felt that one was a, a people, that you do belong and everyone is together, ultimately united. I don't remember much of what that Palestinian man said. It's not as if I was actually listening to him. Mm. There were things like the Zionist oppressors and free Palestine. I remember his passion and anger, his flag held up high. The mere association of Zionism with oppression and occupation meant only one thing, that my home, my Israel, all that I know and I love should not exist. What I do remember is the fear that swelled up immediately as indignation and righteous anger and erupted with that elated sense of belonging, singing and dancing with the roaring crowd. I remember the indescribable ecstasy, that feeling you get when the marching band plays or the national anthem is sung or you see your flag fluttering in the breeze, the goosebumps crawling all over when your team wins or your country wins a gold medal at the Olympics. The overwhelming, gushing, welling up of emotions too big for words that only the brass and drums can express when you're 17 and more than anything want to belong. It was so good to feel that pride. My people, my nation, mine, we were one. That encounter in Hyde Park validated everything I knew about who I was. Everything I knew and breathed and heard all through my childhood growing up in Jerusalem. From the moment I could remember, I knew these words. They hate us. They don't want us here. They hate us. But why? No one ever had a satisfying answer. It was the question that haunted me all through my young life. So beautiful, Noah. Thank you for that. Actually chilling, you know, it really made me tingle. That excerpt was so beautiful because it transported me to being with you in Hyde Park at age 17 and feeling that sense of thrill and belonging. And I am with my tribe and my tribe knows the truth with a capital T, right? Oh yeah. my goodness. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. And listeners, that is just a taste of what you will find in Noah Baum's book, A Land Twice Promised, that is all about, I'm a gorgeous storyteller you are, but it's all about transformation, unity, change, and the power of love and listening. Beautiful. So Noah, as we prepare to close, do you have another idea or two that you'd like to share with our listeners today? I just hope that my story and my book invites people into a space of curiosity about the other, be it your mother or your enemy, any anyone that is considered the other. Uh, because I think when we allow ourselves to stay curious and ask questions, we can discover so many stories and the stories are a little window into a world that is not ours into a soul that is another soul and once we start listening to that we really discover that we have so much more in common than than what we think divides us and so the more we can listen to each other's stories the more we can come to discover that. And I think um, I think it, it's the huge healing power that stories have. And I hope that my book is an invitation into that world, into, into oh, allowing wow. everyone to discover that power for themselves. <laughs> and what a beautiful invitation it is, Noah. And I love how you put it so, so succinctly that we... When we have, when we embrace a sense of curiosity for the other, non-judgmental curiosity that says, who are you, right? What a beautiful way to, to learn about something that you may never have learned otherwise, right? Uh, what windows it does open to our hearts and souls. So thank you so much for sharing that. Let me, let me just add that it's not easy. I'm not pretending mm. that it's easy. And I talk a lot about that it's not easy, but I still believe with all my heart that it is possible and that that is our path to peace. And I, I absolutely agree with you that in many cases, it is not easy to listen with non-judgmental curiosity, but I believe the more we practice it, like any skill, the more we practice it, sitting yep. And listening, truly listening without a rejoinder waiting to, to fly out, right? But truly listening, we definitely can create a lot of peace, not just within ourselves and within the other person, but throughout the world, because everything we do tends to make waves in one way or another. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you. So, Noah, it has been such a joy. Where can our listeners find you? I um, have a website, noahbaum.com. You can see some videos of stories there and connect with me through my newsletter. You can send me an email through my website. So it's noahbaum.com. I'm also on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. And uh, yeah, and my book is now on Audible. So you can hear me reading it. Which oh, <laughs> even more wonderful. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. And I will spell Noah's name. It is N-O-A for her first name, Noah, N-O-A and Baum, B-A-U-M. And her wonderful book, A Land Twice Promised. 
Thank you once again, Noah, for being with us today. It has been a truly lovely conversation. And your book, A Land Twice Promised, An Israeli Woman's Quest for Peace, is such a wonderful contribution. And I am so thrilled that you have brought it to us in book form. Thank you. And again, for listeners, A Land Twice Promised, An Israeli Woman's Quest for Peace by Noah Baum. As we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, be sure to visit us at Familius.com, where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier and more peaceful place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. We talk together, learn together, play, work, eat together. We 